The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Somebody's riding shotgun, the rest of you in the back seat, a few in the trunk, and off we go. Eric Ryder is our buddy at the board. He produces this show week in and week out. And today we are going to talk to somebody who can take you, if there's enough room in his rig, on a Bigfoot road trip. That's right, seeking Bigfoot. Some people go to national parks. Some people want to go to every baseball stadium in the major leagues. And some people want to find Bigfoot. At least they think they do. Tom Yamarone is that man. He is an expert in Bigfoot lore. He has many credentials, including being regarded as, if you can imagine, the Bob Dylan of Bigfoot songs, for he is a balladeer and he is beloved in the community, the Bigfoot community of believers and seekers. We'll talk to Tom Yamarone. He's got stories and we want to hear them. So we shall right after this. Have you ever wanted to know what the weather will be for your next road trip? Drive Weather is a new app that shows the forecast for your route. It's incredibly simple to use and it's available on Apple and Android. Drive Weather. Download it now for a safer road trip wherever you go. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Seattle, Tacoma. Antwerp? That's right. We're streamed worldwide on our app and on the web at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk and a chance to visit with our friend Tom Yamarone. Tom, you know, you look at the guy and you think, wow, here is a friendly dude, a little rough around the edges. He knows how to play a song. He knows how to sing. He kind of reminds you of Bob Dylan when he's doing it. And he seems like a mountain man. Well, he's a mountain man with a degree from Stanford, a very sharp mind who has lived in California and researched Bigfoot for a long, long time. And he's got some stories to tell us. And we want to hear some of those today, particularly for those who might want to go out trekking while looking for Bigfoot and enjoying the great outdoors and navigating the highways, particularly in California and the Pacific Northwest. Tom Yamarone, we're so happy to have you with us today. Gary, it's my pleasure to be here, and I love to share some of my stories with your listeners. Yes, uh, I've been on some great Bigfoot road trips and looking forward to some more once we get through this pandemic and everything calms down and we can get back out there safely. The pandemic, yes, what an encumbrance. So we rely on trips of the past as you look forward to more in the future, you and your buddies. Right. I've never done that myself, but I love talking to guys like you who get out there and rough it, and you're intrepid in your approach to finding a creature, the existence of which is hotly debated perennially. Tell us about your orientation to the whole phenomenon, the Fortean phenomenon, as they say, of Bigfoot, of Sasquatch, 
and the tentative conclusions you have reached about the existence of this amazing creature. Well, sure. I was drawn to this like anyone else, just interested in it, and so started reading about it. And then there was a, a conference in a town called Willow Creek, California, and I attended that conference years ago, 17 years ago, and there I met some of the key figures in Bigfoot research, uh, John Green, uh, Dr. John Bender-Noggle, a wildlife biologist from Canada, and uh, others who then asked me if I would, you know, I made arrangements to camp with them the following week in the Tahoe National Forest in California, Sierra Nevada Mountains, and there we recorded some sounds at night that sounded like screams. So that was a great first time out, you know, actually for me. And 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 that subsequently ended up on the t- television show Finding Bigfoot. Uh, this and what a popular, very popular show, Finding Bigfoot. Absolutely a go-to show for people who are interested in, in the experience of trying to determine whether Bigfoot exists or those who are predisposed to think of Bigfoot as a reality want to go see if they can have the experience themselves. And Tom, you know, what's interesting about that is I was reading up a little bit about the Oregon Bigfoot Highway and this great tract of land where people have reported Bigfoot sightings going back to the early days of the 20th century. Right. And the man, I think his name is Joe Bielert. He has written a book about it. Joe Bielert. And he said that, you know, when you have your first sighting of Bigfoot and one of his lasted 15 full seconds, which must have seemed like an eternity. But when you have that first experiences of seeing Bigfoot, he said, you'd be better off to forget it because it's going to change your life when you try to get it out of your mind. It just changes the way you are perceived by others if you ever dare to tell the story. And he even said, go into a tavern and tell that story. More than half the people there listening will get angry. Huh, that's true. You know, it's funny, in my travels, I've they ask me where I'm going or what I'm doing, and when I tell them, some of them are either respond skeptically or they'll say, you know, uh, one in one in five will have a story, you know, and that's that six degrees of separation you find with Kevin Bacon and Bigfoot, you know, that somebody will know somebody. In fact, here in my daily walk, I walk around the block and I saw this car with a sticker on it, you know, a Bigfoot sticker and then the state of California sticker. And so I waited and one day ran into the man and asked him, hey, what's up with your sticker here? And he said, well, I, my dad and I had a sighting when I was a child. Oh, where was it? In the Trinity, along the Trinity River, which is where I like to go up in Northern California, outside of Willow Creek, on the way to Bluff Creek, where the famous Patterson-Gimlin film was filmed, was recorded. You know, so again, here's just another an indication that someone in 1988 was on that road and and this creature crossed in front of their car. The father saw it, who was driving, and the children, this guy and his mom did not see it. But, the, you know, the dad said, oh, my gosh, this large Bigfoot just walked across the road. So that was great to hear, you know, and just meeting this guy randomly like that. But that's also happened to me driving up uh, to Yakima, Washington, up Highway 97 north of Bend, or south of Bend, Oregon, in Crescent. I stopped at a Bigfoot pub and went in. And again, some people had several stories from the Diamond Lakes loop up there uh, west of Bend, southwest of Bend. 
And so, yeah, you just run into stories like that and traveling up to Oregon for what they called this camp out we used to do each summer. Uh, we, we ran into some people at the coastal pull-offs, you know, scenic viewpoints, and they started telling us stories from around Coos Bay. So, again, you just travel the roads, and uh, the places I like to go are a little off the beaten path, but we know how to what they call disperse camp. You bring your own water and, and your stove and your tent and whatnot, and you just camp in the national forest. You get a fire permit if you need one. And uh, it's always been very fun and successful. And it is a little hard, but, you know, you just get your things you need and you basically subsist out there in the woods. Because you know what you're about and what you're looking for. Right. I was surprised to learn recently, Tom, that there is a designated Oregon Bigfoot Highway. Never heard of that before. You know, I had never heard of it. And then uh, Cliff Berkman, who's a good friend of mine, who also runs the North American Bigfoot Center in Boring, Oregon, of all places. But a great, great road trip destination for anyone from the Seattle area. Head on down south of Portland, Oregon, to the North American Bigfoot Center and tell Cliff and Melissa Berkman I sent you. And so he drove me one day after a road trip in for me up into Washington. He I, he was going to take me to the Portland airport before my flight home. And he took me on a drive uh, basically up to Mount Hood. And then we went south a bit out of there and came down out of the mountains on the Bigfoot Highway. Clackamas. It's along the Clackamas River. Yes, beautiful area too. I think of the sisterhood of mountains in the Pacific Northwest, and if I'm including California in that, Mount Lassen, and of course there's Mount Lassen Volcanic yeah, Mount National Shasta, Park. Yeah, the Cascades, right? The Cascades, Mount Shasta, and uh, there's the Crater Lake area. You have Mount Rainier, of course, Mount Baker, Mount Hood near Portland. Right, Mount All Hood, of these Mount Rainier, sister Mount Adams. And I forgot Mount Adams, absolutely, which is also uh, very famous in UFO lore, but that's subject for another day. <laughs> uh, yeah, when we it like comes to, to camp all... around there in the, in the Gifford Pinchot National Forest near the Skookum Meadows where they got the Skookum cast. Uh, uh, and, and then we did some road trips in, into that area. And also Mount St. Helens, and you're on the south side of Mount St. Helens. With all and... of these peaks in these areas... Taking the highway, and then, of course, you're going to get out of your vehicle and you're going to be trekking. Right. That's a wonderful thing to experience. What I'm curious to know is how is it based mainly on the reports combined with personal experiences that you devise an itinerary? Because once you get out, I mean, you're roaming all over the place. We're talking about potentially millions of square miles, depending on, on how big a trek you make of it. But I'm thinking in terms of natural habitat. And this is strange to me, Tom, because I have heard Bigfoot lore originating in the Pacific Northwest. And of course, the Patterson-Gimlin film is in California. Okay, right. so the northern part of California, Oregon, Washington, up into British Columbia. To me, that was Bigfoot Central, that great chunk of real estate and then i find out that there are people who look for bigfoot and claim that they have found evidence maybe a lot of evidence according to some in places like east texas and oklahoma and ohio and i start asking myself well how 
how plentiful can Sasquatches be for them to have that kind of range? You're talking about different geography. Well, they, they adapt. And what John Bindernagel, the wildlife biologist, may he rest in peace, used to say is, what, when, if a habitat can support a black bear population, an omnivore like a black bear, that it has resources to support an omnivore like a Sasquatch. So, and yeah, and, and in fact, in Oklahoma, our friends, my friends Kathy and Bob Strain go down there, and they do this North American wood ape conservancy, and uh, they've had encounters uh, with Sasquatches in the Wachita Mountains or Wachita Mountains in eastern Oklahoma, and, and uh, they've seen them there, and they've even at some point got a tracking device stuck into the hair of one. Oh, really? Yes. And they will see little signs too, the bent twig or branch phenomenon, where it's bent at an angle in a certain way that's not characteristic of human activity. Isn't that true? Right, right. And we'll look for that too, broken trees. And now some people will look for signs like stacked trees or woven trees, young trees. But I don't put as much into that as someone who's had a sighting or a sound incident, you know, so... Well, like you were saying, how do we base uh, our road trips or, you know, what do we base that on? Yeah, you could look at sighting reports, incidents, or foraging. Is there a – one place we used to go in the Sierras, there was a deer migration. We thought they follow the herds, you know, so we would camp near this mammoth pool reservoir during the deer migration. And so you things have like to that, be peace. natural resources, you know, food sources, and, and – uh, Basically, Such as we might rely upon. Are, are used to be the, the real key indicator. If someone had seen one in that area, you know, we'd go back. I've even heard a story. This was televised, as a matter of fact. It was very spooky to me. Some scientists went out. They were looking for some Bigfoot activity. So they went to a cabinet that was not a cabin that was not normally uh, habituated by people or certainly not the same people. Right. And they had access to it. And they found that deep, deep into the woods... I want to say it was Minnesota, the Northwoods. They it was southern Canada. I think that cabin you're talking about. Then they had the the doormat with the with the screws on it, and that's the one. Yes, on there you go. That's the one. Yes, and rocks were being thrown. Now these aren't bears, grizzly right. or otherwise, throwing rocks. They're from a distance, and they're landing on the roof. And this is happening for a substantial portion overnight. Can you imagine right. how scary that would be? And they were assuming that there is some kind of creature that has the strength, has the agility and the intention to warn these people to stay away or just telling them to go away with right. the act of throwing these rocks as though it were a hostile or even a perhaps a defensive action. I find that amazing. That was a great encounter. Doug Hycheck of Monster Quest, the producer of White Wolf Productions, uh, was there, I believe, for that. And Jeff Meldrum, the professor of anatomy and uh, anthropology from Idaho State University, was there as well. And Bobo had heard from the guys who were filming there that it was an, an intense night that they were very scared, very intimidated by that rock throwing on the roof and and, and the creatures being around the cabin that night. I have heard, I think it was Joe Bielart that made this comment too, that it's a good idea to 
approach Bigfoot with not just due deference, but with a sense of the sacred regarding nature. And he started leaving what he called offerings, not bait, but offerings in order to establish some kind of gift relationship in order to draw Bigfoot near, but with obviously non-hostile intentions. And he has made a practice of that going back many years. I agree with that, too. We do that as well. Uh, there was one trip where I was going up to meet Bobo to go camping, and, and I stopped in Eureka. He lives near Eureka, and I just happened to be at an organic market, and I bought apples, you know, so I was bringing the bait, not the bait, but the offering. And uh, and so we left out this pile of organic apples near our campsite at a place called Fish Lake, which is near Bluff Creek. And that night I went to bed. I was tired. I had gotten up at five in the morning to, you know, pack my car and get ready to go and to go pick him up. And so I went to bed around midnight and about one in the morning, the tent flap just gets ripped open and Bubba yells at me, something just took our apples. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I got out wow. of the tent. I was like, oh, my gosh. And we went over there and looked. And sure enough, something had run in and on two feet, you know, and grabbed, scooped up a bunch of the apples and and and, and left. And, and then as I laid down to go to sleep, I hear this crack, snap. You know, a tree branch was snapped off near the, near the camp. But that was it for the night. We didn't hear anything the rest of the night. But it, at some point, even with Bobo and Robert up around the campfire, this thing felt comfortable enough to run in, grab the apples, and, and leave. Do you know of any instances where a Sasquatch will leave something in return so that there is a relatedness to the experience, some reciprocity? I've heard of some people who leave things out and then they'll get like a, a shiny rock or a feather you know, left in return. Yes. I talked to a lady in Michigan years ago who said that she would leave food, forget exactly what she left, something edible. And the next morning, because she would leave this for overnight, and the next morning she would find a pile of pine cones arranged in such a way as would not occur naturally. It's almost like a thank you gift. And so she felt more and more comfortable about associating with Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. one thing uh, to be actually, scared. It's one thing to be I, I amazed. Like that. But, I mean, but and, to actually, and that's something yeah. you look forward to as well. I'm really in, in, in char- entranced with my abalone Bigfoot necklace as well. I wear it every day, and, and I get a lot of comments on it when we travel. Uh, and I got that from the abalone spirit carver on Etsy. It's a great, great little memento. It gets a lot of great comments. And, uh, and, and after my stroke three years ago, it's been kind of my go-to thing every day to wake up, put on my abalone spirit carver necklace, and go do my rehab. Well, I love that, and I wish you the best, of course, Tom. Thank you. We have a few minutes to go, and the road warriors among us would like to know, I'm quite sure, if they're going to set up an itinerary, what would be the first trip to make? If you're advising somebody, they want to go and try this out, on what route would you send them? Let's say they're leaving from Seattle or from the south if they're leaving from the San Francisco Bay Area. Right. Well, if you're leaving from the San Francisco Bay Area, I like to go up Highway 101 and see the coastal redwoods. So I go through the coastal redwoods south of Eureka, Redwood National Park. And then from there, I go, I go over to uh, Cave Junction, Oregon, you know, up towards Grants Pass. And then from there, we've even gone into the Cascades at that point towards uh, Crater Lake. 
but we don't you know you don't go to crater lake you drive around it right and then uh uh, from the Seattle area, I think it'd be great to go drive the again Highway 101 around the Olympic Peninsula. Beautiful. Yeah, and check out Soul Duck Hot Springs, or the Lake Quinault, or the Ho Rainforest. But that Lake Quinault area is just beautiful and thick, and you could go off around the lake or go on your own. Up, we used to camp one summer. It was my first expedition there. It was where I met Bob Gimlin. Uh, well, I met him at that Willow Creek uh, Bigfoot Symposium, but then he came camping with the BFRO out at the uh, Olympic Peninsula Expedition in 2004. And we were up Salmon, Salmon River Road, you know, just a beautiful spot. And there we had several people who had sightings at nighttime while we did our night vigils or walks. But, yeah, I would try those two highways, actually, if I was coming out of Seattle. Or Seattle, of course, you could go around Mount Rainier. Absolutely around Mount Rainier. And there you have a beautiful national park. I am curious enough to ask you, do you get reports from people or in the normal run of conversation in the circles in which you travel, do you hear from people who go to have a national park experience like a Mount Rainier or to Crater Lake, perhaps, and come back with stories about seeing Sasquatch? Yes. Yeah, they'll say, you know, we were out one night and this thing crossed the road in front of us or we heard screams, you know, from our cabin or our tent, our campsite. Yeah, you hear people that say they go out in the national forest and they'll have an unusual encounter. And then what I try to tell them is, you know, record with your phone or, or bring a digital recorder if you're hearing strange sounds. Try to make an, you know, file, somehow document what you're hearing. hearing. Or even use the video mode if, to capture audio. And when people ask, where's the photo? Where's the evidence? They need to keep in mind that if you have a sudden encounter with Sasquatch, you're not exactly thinking at first, I'm going to grab my camera or I'm going to record this with my iPhone. Many people, they're stunned, they're terrified, and that's not the first thing they think to do. But they right. sure come back with a story. Which is good, too. You know, I think any, anything like that, anything is good. They have the experience as long as they're willing to share it. Uh, that's the other part of it is we think maybe one in ten sightings aren't shared. You know, that people are too cautious about it, too prohibited, They, you know, shy. Not shy, but they think it, they're going to be uh, ridiculed about it. Well, yes, that, that's just human behavior. A lot of people will uh, cast doubt or cast aspersions. Tom, I did want to get this in. I just discovered this today. I was doing a little show prep. I found right. out about something called the Hugh and Sullivan Rule, and it's named after the adventurers who coined it. And the rule is, on average, it takes an observer 200 hours on the ground to encounter any new evidence of Bigfoot. So you must be dedicated if you're going to be a Bigfoot tracker. Well, you're out there quite a bit. I know the guys are out there every day, or most days, that you can be, you know. Uh, it's not real great for your job opportunities to be a Bigfoot no. tracker, but <laughs> sure is great to get outdoors. And I'm still looking forward to it this year. You know, we'll be planning something uh, maybe early next spring, late, late winter. 
I want that to happen for you. You've been so dedicated. You are so acculturated in Bigfoot lore and history and the appreciation of what is still regarded as a myth, but it's not mythical to people who have seen for themselves. And I guess the last question... People have questions, really. Contact the North American Bigfoot Center or go to Boring, Oregon, and see for yourself. See the evidence. Cliff and Melissa have a great collection of footprint casts and, and the history of the subject, which I'm very enamored with, is the history of the subject. Like Jerry Crew was a man who in 1958, you know, got this Bigfoot cast up on Bluff Creek where he was bulldozing roads and, and brought it down to the newspapers in Eureka. And, and they, they put him on the cover. And then I ultimately wrote a song about that. Jerry Crew, he knew what to do, and, and ultimately met his sons. And uh, they're just wonderful people and a great family. And that's where I was up near Mount Lassen. They had a family reunion that they invited me to, the Crew family. And, uh, and so I went there, and, yeah, Jerry Crew and Cliff and Melissa, the North American Bigfoot Center, Look it up online, too, if you can't make it to Boring, Oregon. Uh, that's one of the greatest resources there there is for Bigfoot. And if people want to contact you, Tom Yamarone, should they find you on Facebook? Uh, you also can. have a Twitter account. find me on YouTube. I'm Bigfoot Songs 04 is my channel. And I've got some sounds I've recorded up there and Bigfoot Songs. You know, but... YouTube, and again, it's Bigfoot Songs 04? Right. All one you... word. I'm going to subscribe as soon as I'm done here. Thank you, Tom Yamarone. It's a delight to talk with you. Let's do a follow-up here. We'll see who finds what or at least have a great time with the national parks and these wonderful highway loops. And right. we'll talk about the subject. Let us know what subject. you find out there. And let us know if yes. you run into anyone or any stories on, on your travels to or from the national forests or the Bigfoot highways of North America or the Pacific Northwest. And don't be shy about telling your stories to Tom Yamarone and his friends. They want to hear them. Indeed Thank you, Tom. Do. Bring them to the cliff at the North American Bigfoot Center, too. Wonderful. Thank you, Tom. A pleasure to have you with us today. Gary, thank you for having me. And everyone, safe travels out there, but enjoy the great outdoors. Well said. And now, a word about Alert Drops. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, alert drives will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. The first stop on any Utah road trip, utah.com. Utah.com has itineraries for every corner of the state. Discover where you can drive under a vibrant vermilion arch. Find a turquoise lake and the best raspberry shakes around. Or marvel at Aspen's aglow in autumn. 
Wherever you go, the drive is as awesome as the destination. So throw your bag in the boot of your Beetle or pack the snacks in your mini Winnie and hit the road with tips from the crew at utah.com. Thank you for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next week, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Music.